Welcome back to another episode of Charge. This is episode two. My name is Tika. This is Golden. And I'm Sid. And Charge is a podcast about tech and science. And today I want to start off by talking about Twitter. So this week on Twitter, um, Elon Musk, you know, the entrepreneur, very successful, founder of Tesla and SpaceX, um, tweeted at this account called at Elon Jet. So that's like his first name and then Jet. And I was quite surprised when he, you know, he told this this random account to, well, he didn't tweet at them, he DM'd them. Mm-hmm. And this was like in the news. So the, obviously, at Elon Jet had told, the founder of that account had told, you know, the news sources and like yeah. uh, told them about what Elon had said to, to him. And Elon offered, I think like, Elon offered $5,000 to take down this account. And so let's start with that. So basically this account is targeted at tracking like Elon Musk's private jets location at all times. So where it goes to, uh, where, where it's come from, you know, like all these different things. And so it's tracking his private jet, which is a Gulfstream G650ER for the technical details there. And the founder of this, or creator of this account, should I say, is called Jack Sweeney, and he's a 19-year-old freshman in the University of Central Florida. Have you? Do you know that university? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> doesn't sound like a very. Um, well, well it doesn't, doesn't sound like a very academic university, I would say. Sure, but I, I mean, this guy <clears throat> must be slightly clever, you know, to be able to find the the raw data of, um, you know, his jet. Mm-hmm. Well. Elon Musk isn't the only person to actually get targeted by Jack Sweeney. Um, he also tracks Drake's private jet, Mark Cuban's, Jeff Bezos's, um, Bill Gates's, and you know other people on uh, different accounts. So, right. I mean, I, I, I well, yeah, just out of interest, right? I'm not an expert in jets, but on these sort of information or sort of publicly open like you could you, you could definitely just yeah because i i remember um i mean there's, i think i'm not sure about private jets but i'm sure for, for commercial flights it's definitely all trackable and i'm sure yeah. for private jets it's i mean it's it's similar yeah right. i mean obviously like air traffic control would have to know like about every single jet in the sky otherwise you know people might just collide and so it's not like an easy easy way to just not track like there's no way for the jet just to go like undercover and just you know yeah so um yeah so he got it from the a he got the data from the adsb exchange which is i believe just like a company which just has all of the data you know from from all jets just unfiltered Mm -hmm. and so he i guess he used that but what is actually quite interesting is like how how he kind of phrases it it's like He's, it's it's not like he's thinking that this multi-billionaire is, like, talking to him. He treats it just like a friend. He's like, so, quoting him, I go like, oh, my gosh, Elon Musk just DM'd me. Can you take this down? It's a security risk. Uh, that's what Mr. Sweeney said. And then he then he offered me $5,000 to take it down and help him make it slightly harder for crazy people to track me. So, I think what Elon's trying to say there in in his message is like 
it could be a serious security risk. And I can see why that is true. Like, anyone can know exactly where he is. Mm -hmm. And that is quite, you know, bad for, like, if someone wanted to take down Elon Musk and they know exactly where his jet is, all they have to do is just, you know, go on Twitter, see this guy's tweets, and they know it's, like, legit. It's, like it's more accessible. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. And to be fair, Elon Musk seems like, was like so untouchable from society you know like yeah. you, we don't really think of him as like a human like like in in the sense that he's you know you could never like just see him walking in the street yeah know? of course i mean elon musk is like a multi-billionaire obviously you it, it's very far out of reach you know so some of his you know because his entire career and the stuff he is doing right now is also uh, you know very distant from us especially for you know us teenagers that are still in school yeah. yeah, but on the other hand, you know, he is like through his social media, obviously not in person due to the security risks, but yeah. through his social media, he is actually very accessible to teenagers. Obviously, not like to just DM like that, but yeah. you know, he's he's the guy who posts memes, goes on PewDiePie's meme review. Like, yeah. yeah, so you can see why there's such a craze over him. That's yeah. true. I mean, I've, I have a question. So it's actually Elon Musk DM'd the boy yeah. about taking down the account for yeah. $5,000. Yeah. I mean, isn't that uh, kind of uh, like surely the guy could have earned a lot more money if he would have just taken on with the cloud? I mean, for radio shows, for uh, he could definitely have a massive like publicity stunt from yeah. justice. Well, here's what actually happened in in this like scenario. This is all like none of this has been confirmed, by the way. Like, all like right. this is just like the guy saying that this all happened. Uh-huh. But it is true that he does own these accounts. So, okay, Mr. Sweeney, you know, the guy, made a counteroffer to Mr. Musk, according to the screenshots of the, uh, like, exchange between them, uh-huh. saying that he would abandon the account if Mr. M- if Musk, you know, <laughs> upped the ante to $50,000. So that's 50K, you know. And then he said that he would also accept a Tesla Model 3, and that costs more than, like, 38000 and yeah, so <laughs> this is. I think this is just like straight up scam. And I realistically, <laughs> the I don't. I. I mean, there's also you. We don't know a hundred percent sure whether this message from Mister Sweeney is valid or not. Yeah. So exactly. it could be just complete bullshit. I mean, on the other hand, it also says that um, uh, Elon Musk asked him to make it slightly harder for quote unquote crazy people to track me. So. I mean, if you get into any type of business with Elon Musk, I mean that's a that's pretty much securing your future for the for, for the foreseeable future. So yeah. that that is a massive opportunity in and itself. Um, completely disregarding the five thousand dollars. So to be, to be fair, like go, going back on that like university thing, mm-hmm. where you're saying you know you don't really, you've not really heard of it. I think it'd be pretty stupid not to like accept any deal from Elon Musk and like also. You know, he he is offering him like a whole opportunity to help. You know, uh, what's the word? Like, make airline like security better, right? That would that would definitely you know for a nineteen year old that wants to you know work in the future probably, that that is much better than just like you know hacking random celebrities. You know. Place. Yeah, yeah, I do agree. I think no, I think this is definitely a like. A very you know, good deal, yeah. For Miss Sweeney, yeah. 
I I do think so, and um, yeah. So I th- I think that's that's what's really happened on Twitter like this week, and I I mean it's it's been happening since I think sometime in twenty twenty was when that first started, and then I think he's kind of thought it over, gone to the media, you know, and they've they probably thought he was joking at at the start, but then there's probably some slight evidence that they have, which you know. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, the topic that I want, I would like to bring up in today's episode is um, just tech in China. It's a very you know general generic yeah. thing to talk about. And um, so I, just I now we were talking about security risk online, etc. Yeah. Um, I think China has done a pretty good job. Um, in some areas, in some areas. I I don't think it's um, obviously data protection laws, etc. Are still are, are I mean are very strong and so is some yeah. wishy-washy but speaking of you know chinese media censorship yeah i think um i i i wouldn't say it's it's completely correct like politically but i i i definitely think there's a lot of inspirations other countries should you know take on board um so if the same thing happened in china with mr sweeney yeah. posting elon Musk's um just you know flights you know where the fly where the plane is etc yeah. i don't i don't think that will happen in china the, um it's when you'll be banned quite i mean for, for, from pretty much all major social media platforms so is that how they kind of sense people like is that their punishment i mean okay so the whole point if from my experience with just chinese censorship media censorship which sort of i think in, in for example for stuff like instagram and YouTube they lag in comparison with a lot of the Chinese social media. One is obviously for political reasons. You can't, you know, it, it, freedom of speech is not like a totally, there's not, I mean, freedom of speech in China is actually a very, you know, interesting topic. Um, so obviously you're allowed to project your opinion on things, but yeah. when it comes to politics, um, you can't, you know, you, you can't go against the government. I mean, you, for example, um, you cannot say, for example, the government is, you know, for example, if the government just put out a policy, like an economic policy, you cannot, you know, say this policy is wrong on the internet. However, however you, you can critique um, the government to some certain extent. So, for example, for um, the Winter Olympics that's happening right now, I've seen videos, I've seen just, you know, bloggers posting, you know, oh, the, here's like a p- potential safety hazard to the critique or or perhaps for a tourist, this, you know, perhaps a better alternative than, than, you know, entering this stage or stuff like this. You know, they they do accept that. It's not that you cannot criticize government at all. It's like what you criticize. Yeah. And also, I mean, China for the past, let's say, like 10, 20 years, technology has just like skyrocketed. I mean, it's everyone in China has a smartphone. And then every, we we don't even bring credit cards or anything out. Like it's just everything's online, digital um, yeah. currency. I think I think it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. How how did he like learn about what is right and wrong in China? Like, as, as someone who was educated in the UK, yeah, mm-hmm. for how long? Seven years. Seven years. Seven, yeah. Six years. And so, did you ever go to school in China? Oh yeah, I have. I I went to school there for like my whole. Pretty much my whole primary school. Right. Time. Okay. Kindergarten so, as well. So is that where you like l- know the rules, or or how do you like know 
what the government will do in like certain well, situations? Well, I mean, a lot of the things really just come down to common sense. And um, realistically, obviously, uh, you know, I've been I've been in the UK for almost six years, seven years, but yeah. it's not it's not like I'm I'm being isolated from China. It's like I I fly back before COVID. I fly back every half term, every end of term, etc. So, um, and you you do and for you know Aumble, pretty much a quarter or a third of our time is in holiday. So, yeah, we I I I spend a decent amount of time in China each year. So I'm I'm still sort of connected with the society. It's not like I've been, you know, I've been in the UK for like seven years straight. So, um, yeah. uh, for from my experience, so obviously what's right and wrong. So, obviously. You know, on if if you go online, if you search up like Trump memes, there's so many things to joke around about, yeah. like the, the, the his hair, his you know expressions on things, or perhaps even some of his views. You wouldn't be able to do that because I mean, at the end of the day, it is a form of mockery, right? Like, yeah. re- regardless, mock. I, mean, I I don't. I obviously it's, it's pretty much just common sense. Like, if you don't want to, and also I mean, it's it's very hard to say because. If I say you, mockery is bad, on the other hand, it's not really that bad. It's like everyone does it, and it's a form of right. you know entertainment jokes, right? But obviously, you can't. You obviously you can't mock you know, Chinese officials. Yeah. You, you won't see that on, on, in China in Chinese media's. Uh, and for example, you cannot directly critique something such as like you can't. You can't. The, you can critique, but the way you put the words have to be in a very polite manner. So, for instance, um, the uh, one-child policy in China back then, yeah, uh, it was you know just a policy. I personally, I don't have any opinions on whether it is wrong or correct. I think it is just neutral for me, and also I don't really know much about the one-child policy other than the name of it, just one-child policy. So, obviously, there are people who are saying you know oh, one-child policy is good. You know, uh, improves people's quality of life in China, etc. And you know, there's also the other side where they critique, like such as, oh, per, uh, you know, we don't have any sort of new population anymore. Uh, China is going to like an aging trend, etc. So, for me, when I when I read and when I look at these kind of things, it's just like when i when i go on billy billy which is chinese equivalent of youtube it's it's massive it's genuinely massive um when i search up one child policy um the critiques and the like applauding sounds um from the other end of the spectrum they're all they're very they're they're very well put it's not like on tiktok you might see some crazy vegans or crazy lgbtq members screaming or like are people saying like, "Oh, you're killing animals," or like, "Oh, it's like gay rights, etc." It's it's not like that. Yeah. So so basically, like China, very like kind of censored around some topics, but or is it all topics? Like, can I say selling? You know how last time we we're speaking about delivery services mm-hmm. and you can buy crocodiles online. Yeah. Can I, if I say in China like this is inhumane and I start like protest, like like I I believe that you should only buy crocodiles that are 
like in person yeah. because like shipment is bad or whatever uh-huh. if i say that what what would happen is or is that is that okay no of course it is i mean it is pretty much a free society i mean yeah. believe it or not there's a lot of western news about you know china being horrible china being you know they, yeah. they violate people's human rights etc exactly something like this like at the end of the day uh the w- so the way i live in 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 the uk versus the way i live in china um you know these kind of bits and bobs policies don't really affect me that much realistically um you are still in a very liberal society you're still in a place where you can pretty much speak freely you can move around freely the 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 fundamental of liberty is pretty much guaranteed in china but i mean however of course you can't you know critique about the government and you cannot say things that are just out of order but in, in overall for like an ordinary person to live um it's it's just like the west it's there 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 isn't like a day and night difference yeah what do you think of like um you know how certain global social media such as instagram youtube and such aren't allowed on in in china and you have to use a vpn etc mm-hmm. um what do you think about that i mean <sighs> does for, it inconvenience you oh yeah of course it is i mean personally i have to purchase vpns when i'm in china to to get on these these west social medias either either because you know i need to text someone or, or you know just being you know our graphs and group chat our house group chat etc um I, I need a vpn for it but i i also understand why it is necessary because in china obviously you don't want western propaganda to like filtrate you know some of the you know chinese culture that perhaps they don't really understand and also um Pornography in China is also banned, so you can't access Pornhub, etc. In China, mm. therefore, I think it is a necessary precaution. And also, it's not just in China; in a lot of middle uh, Middle East countries, for example, they are very—I don't know—they you're not allowed to say anything that is sort of anti-religious. You can't say anything that is like, you know, something that is against Islamic um, culture, etc. Then they will have the same thing in in dubai have the same thing in saudi yeah. Yeah. and so like for you though mm-hmm. when you use a vpn is that illegal um this you is actually another a crime you no know, it is actually a very interesting question um i think the specific law for it is also very different so um there isn't a definite line yeah. saying this is illegal this is legal um it's 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 a bit like you know how in the uk there is the um, i mean when you're under 16 you're not allowed to have sex yeah um it is pretty much it's more like a guidance rather than being a definite thing so for example in the uk if you are perhaps caught doing such um you will not be in prison you won't be you you might not even be fined you'll probably just you know, be told off um yeah and you they will probably alert your parents but same as in china so if you go for for example for people like me uh, i mean you're you i think the exact law or the exact regulation is like you're not meant to use proxy networks it's, you're, you're advised not to use it and if you do cause severe troubles then you will be you know punished with x y and z yeah and for me, oh, I my my entire like usage of VPN is just Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. So for me, it is completely fine. I think for like the regular user, I think like using a VPN isn't 
it's not gonna not gonna cause any harm. Yeah. So I mean, at the school, you know, there's there's a VPN. So so basically, for for people that don't know how a VPN actually like works or what it is, mm-hmm. it kind of like redirects your your traffic. So you don't go directly to that place. You might like hop like you know the the school network, for example, will not actually know exactly where you're going to, and the reason or where you're receiving data from. And the reason why this actually, like, you know, is kind of banned by the school and is banned in most places. Well, one, children can find things that they shouldn't find. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that'd be like the black market or like, I, God Pornography. knows. Yeah, loads, Pornography, of, loads of things. Alcohol. Of, yeah, loads of things online. Or that'd be like, it's not even about like finding things which are wrong. It's like maybe it's wrong at the wrong time. Yeah. So, f- for example, in prep, so prep is like homework for us. So we have like a time at school where we, you know, sit down, we do we do our work that we're given that day. Yeah. And in that time, you know, they don't want you to be on YouTube, like watching videos instead of doing it. And I, I guess that kind of encourages people to do so. But so they, they've said that, you know, you're not allowed VPNs. And if they do find you like using a VPN... Uh, what do they they probably just uninstall it right? like, yeah they just uninstall it <laughs> they and they probably your tell your housemaster and your tutor as well yeah they just like block your wifi and then you have to bring it into the IT department yeah and such and such yeah I mean the only thing like that I have to say like against it is really like you're blocking some things which people want to use in free time so for example me being a programmer like s- some websites that I want to use like s- Stack Overflow, yeah. that's blocked in prep. Like, if I want to code in prep, if I've done all my work and I want to code, or, you know, there's some some prep times when, you know, you don't, you're not, like, you're not cr- bombarded by, like, yeah. work. And and so if I want to code, then I can't, because I, I can't look up, you know, questions. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not admitting to being a bad programmer. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> some, some, some things. Yeah. You know, you need you need some resources, and I understand like with a, quite a lot of sites, it's just a waste of time. But some of them are actually useful. So, I mean that that's how I see the VPN thing. And then also one more thing about VPNs is since you they can't like moderate the traffic, yeah. So mm-hmm. if they, since they can't say this person's going to here, this person's going to that, like. They say it's like overloading their network. Isn't that what they say? Uh, I think it is just it's a myth. Yeah, I I think, I don't know. It's just kind of ridiculous. Like, it is a school and we don't have very fast Wi-Fi anyway. I mean, I understand there's like 4,000 devices connected at a time. Oh, more than that. Yeah, yeah, but like. So something start, along the line of 4,000. Yeah, exactly. And they limit how many devices you can actually connect, so. Since there's not even that fast Wi-Fi, I mean, I don't know. Short, short VPNs will probably do something and yeah. make it make it like make the Wi-Fi slower for other people. But at the end of the day, you are blocking some things which we do need. So today, um, well, in this week, India has um, announced its own official digital currency. So I don't know if that's Something like what you mentioned, Golden, about yeah. China's digital currency. But 
They say it will debut by early 2023, and it, it's similar to private company-operated electronic wallets that we see quite a lot in the Western world, but it will be completely backed by the a sovereign-based facility, so government-based. Yeah. Um, and it's essential. It's bank-backed. So rather than um, essentially how it works is, uh, instead of using electronic wallets that are offered by private companies. Yeah. So that holds a credit risk because it it well it holds the credit risk of that company and it's also attached to the money said credit risk and um it also includes charges levied by other merchants that you may sell to. So instead um in this case the digital rupee um it instead of holding a note you'll be holding a digital currency in your phone and so that would be transferred uh, through the central bank to whoever you're buying or selling from. Right. And it's fully backed by the government, which makes it a much cheaper and much more efficiency cur- efficient currency management system. That's already being matured in China. So in China, I'm pretty sure, like in Beijing for big cities, almost like a good, you know, a third or quarter of the shops do not accept cash. Really? Yeah, that, I mean, it is quite it is quite advanced. And then... Um, you pay everything through digital wallet. So for WeChat, there's a thing called WeChat Pay, and then um, for Alibaba, they also have their thing called um, AliPay. Um, they're so, all... sorry to interrupt, but like, do you have to deposit money into that, or how does it work? Um, well, you can connect it to your. Um, it, it's 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 pretty much just like PayPal. Yeah. However, um, there's more to it. So, for example, if Tika wants to transfer let's say um 20 pounds to me yeah. right then it could just be done digitally right. uh, without the uh Sorry about that. without um i think just the bank all the banking stuff etc it it is it, quite complicated but also it's unlike paypal i mean paypal is pretty much only limited to online shopping um so alipay and wechat pay are pretty much everywhere you can go go to tesco yeah. and buy something with wechat pay that that's what i find annoying about paypal actually it's like I put some money in there or I receive money from people because it's, re- it's really a lot more like versatile. Yeah. If you're doing something online, like it's much easier to get receive it through PayPal than like a bank transfer. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no like worries about like numbers, sort codes. It's just like an email. And I just find it like kind of safer. Like I, at least I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But there's no, you know, card. But what what you're saying is it's like different to that, right? It's like, how how is it so if i wanted to have digital rupees yeah mm-hmm. what would i do like would i send the money to somewhere or do i do i go in the app so i think i don't know if i mean yeah i'm, I'm probably sure i'm pretty sure they'll have like an app connected to it yeah. but i think how it works is um it's connected to an official government bank yeah. so <clears throat> i'm assuming that you'd probably deposit money into there and then you know how a regular bank works. Maybe right. there probably there might be some interest on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then it's just um, a much simpler bank transfer without all the you know the CVV, all of that, your your card information. Instead of that, it would just probably be more of a touch and go system like cash. You know, you just hand it over and that's it. There isn't that much security, but obviously it will still be secure enough. So that um, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't understand. How, I don't. I'm not sure how the username and password type system would work. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. I I mean, in my view, I like at least this is how it sounds to me. Like, it just sounds like another. Does it? Does it not just sound like a card? Like, I deposit money onto the card. Yeah. I mean, I deposit into the, into the bank. I, you know, use my card. I I I can also have an app for it. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can't deposit money on the app, but people can send me money. I can use it in a shop. I can use it pretty much anywhere. And apart from that one Chinese shop in Aldo, <laughs> and um, yeah, I like. What's think, the what's the difference here? I think it's because I think it's the fact that it's a much more universal method of payment. Like yeah. you know, everybody has cash, but not everybody in India would have, um, you know, uh, let's say a State Bank of India card. Yeah. So I I think that's where they're changing. They want everybody to be encouraged to switch this method of payment, okay. including people who do already have cards. Okay, right. So so it's it's a replacement for cards rather than like, yeah, like because otherwise it would seem like. You know, there's a card, then you also have this, and yeah, yeah. you could also have cash. So it's like yeah, like I said, like if you're getting involved with private companies again, then you have the credit risk associated with said company. So right. yeah, a bank, uh, the bank of a, you know, a nation would be much more stable. Right. I I have a question, Sid. So India has a population of almost 1.4 billion, and then the according to the study, um, India's pop, uh, only. 750 million users have a phone in India that is almost half of the country one at least one out of three people does not have a phone in India um would you would you I mean the question is when do you think this digital currency will be essentially used on a daily basis um from day to day uh, so they say they're implementing it by 2023, but obviously not everybody will be using it by 2023. And um, I guess the thing is that it's not really going to be necessary in the more rural parts of India, like for the same reason that um, people not met, not most most many people who live in said rural areas don't have a phone mm-hmm. because in essence they don't need it. Yeah. Aside from the fact that they can't afford it and there's no signal in yeah. said areas, uh-huh. they they just don't need it because that's not what they're. Um, their livelihoods are based off of. So, like, people who live in cities, you need a phone. I mean, there's Uh no way around it. But people who live in rural areas, their lives are... There's still many people whose lives are still based on agriculture, you know, uh, mining, maybe, other, you know, primary sector stuff. So they may not need a phone, and um, they they may not even be handling much cash, even. But, you know, uh, some villages may have their own economy that doesn't rely so much on cash. Obviously, as the country develops, we're moving away from that. But, you know, it is still present. And it, it might, I mean, I'm sure these people will also continue to make the switch as, you know, the country develops. But, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, an- another question. So what is the, um, essentially, the security risk for this um, rupee? So would they, are, will, will there be any opportunities for, you know, scamming or, um, just security. I, I, I mean, I guess hazards. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I don't know that much considering it, it was just announced literally like two or three days ago, something like that. But um, considering it's um, you know, fully uh, operated by a government-based bank, I'm assuming that the scam, the the risk for scamming and stuff would be much lower and more based on you know the actual person who's handling the currency rather than the system itself. Like like it's always been. Let's be yeah. honest. It's more about the people rather than the actual system. So, 
yeah. yeah, I mean, I can't really say more until they release more information about it. Considering, so yeah. yeah. All right. Um, another thing I want to just ask about India. I mean, last episode we were just we just touched on delivery services in India. Yeah. I want to ask you, you know, about. I mean, how how is sort of the delivery service being run in India, and do you think it's sustainable? Um, I mean, it's pretty much the same as in any other country. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good um, job for people who are maybe not as educated and don't have the necessary skill set for, um, you know, more skilled jobs such as like working in a software company or something like that. Yeah. So obviously, this is a it's a good opportunity for them to get by, make some money, put food on the table. So um, yeah, and it's um. It's a very wide and extensive network, and it's it works. So, um, yeah. Uh, as for whether it's sustainable, um, I don't really see why not. Fair enough. What What if someone in like a rural place in India like order something? How would it be delivered? What like do does it ever? You know, in the UK, there's like vans for everything. Do you, is that the same for you? I mean. Yeah, in India, it's pretty much like lorries, you know. I mean, not I mean, not to... Um, within a city, obviously, you're not going to drive a lorry around to deliver yeah, Amazon yeah. products. But um, I think for uh, for India, that's actually a pretty good question. It's not... It's it's less vans and more like personal um, bikes and stuff like that. Bikes. Bikes, cars. It's, I, yeah, I don't really see many vans, Amazon delivery vans. It's more... Yeah, yeah it's more per, like bikes and they just have it on their so, backpacks. So would stuff. you say it's like, you know, delivery... Yeah, yeah, like food. It's it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like so, food delivery. So it's like anyone just like pops on an Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So you can sign up and like that, like Uber. You know how they yeah, yeah. the driver sign up. Yeah, I I think I, I think that's actually yeah it probably makes better sense, than the it? UK. Yeah, because yeah, it's like more accessible and lo- you see loads of like delivery drivers and around London and things, and it's kind of different different for like Amazon because it seems more like official. Mm-hmm. And even though they're literally being treated the same, and yeah, yeah. I think probably similar pay as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, like it does seem like <laughs> in India, it it's still like modernized. Like, how is like transport in India, F- mm-hmm. like trains, for example? So, uh, the one yeah, one thing the public transport in India is not nearly as good as um in the UK or in the US. Yeah. Like um, the obviously the public transport in the UK is one of the best. You know they have trains, buses, etc., yeah, etc. Yeah. But in India, it's more like really just cramped buses, and it's mm. yeah, it's just it's not very good if I'm being honest. But yeah. yeah, so that's one system that they have to improve, and then that'll obviously bring with it less congestion, less pollution, so all that. Yeah. They are developing like uh metros and stuff, so stuff that go above the road, and um, it's like right. yeah, it's a metro railway. And um, they're quite cheap as well. So I think, like, it's, if I'm uh, converting it, it's about 11p a ticket. So 11p a ticket. <laughs> that's nothing. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually similar in China, but... I mean, the, the, the pricing similar, but actually the, um, you know, fundamental facilities in... The foundation facilities of the city in China is actually very advanced. It's a lot better than London, I can tell you that. So for most of their underground for the most of their subways they're very very clean they're very new very fast and you know how for um just london tube there is there's no barrier between the the tunnel and like uh where you're standing 
So like you could oh, technically yeah. be hit by one of the tubes, right? Sure, yeah. But in China it's different. It's all sealed off in glass, and the door only opens when that... it, it stops at station. That's true for most lines, but do you know the Jubilee line? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't obviously, I, I, I'm not like we're in Andal, so we don't really use it yeah. too that much, especially me. Um, from what I've seen, I'm, I'm sure there's maybe one or two uh, stations and ones and that uses something like that. But like broadly speaking, in general, even for overgrounds, etc., yeah, they don't have this kind of precaution of yeah, uh, having this, uh, you know, glass door. Okay. Yeah, you know, I I can't wonder about Japan. Do you know? Have do you know like anything? Oh yeah, I mean Japan's. Uh, if I, I in my in my opinion, China's um just subways better than Japan's, and also bullet trains are better than Japan's. Does China have bullet trains? Oh yeah, China has massive bullet train network. Is I think I'm pretty sure they definitely have one of the best bullet train networks in in the world, and they're also building free I think bullet trains in Africa. Which, free. yeah, for free, just like I think a diplomatic kindness um, to Africa. Uh, I think in Kenya, in um, Nigeria, etc. Oh, as in China is building them? Yeah, it's building okay, them. Okay, right. So it's um, it's quite nice. And um, for me, I, if I want to go from, for example, Beijing, I want to travel to a nearby city, let's say Tianjin, um, by bullet train, that probably takes like 20 minutes. And the distance between Tianjin and Beijing is roughly like from Edinburgh to King's Cross. That's pretty much twenty minutes, twenty few minutes from Edinburgh to King's Cross, which is absolutely rapid. That's like almost the entirety of the UK, you know. Like, I oh, mean, yeah. Ed- Edinburgh isn't like the highest, and King's yeah, Cross yeah. isn't lowest, but it, you, is... you're pretty much just cutting through UK. Yeah. Yeah. In twenty minutes. Yeah. I... It, it is. Uh, it is insane. Like. I mean, maybe maybe not Edinburgh. Maybe okay. So from Peterborough, at least definitely Peterborough, at least Peterborough to um, Peterborough to King's Cross, it's no problem. Yeah, not that isn't not that it like it isn't a good notion or anything. But do you think that um, bullet trains is the best thing that China could do for Africa right now? I mean, obviously, we are not. I mean, this I don't know. I don't really know much about politics, but. I think definitely by building, you know, foundation facilities for um, undeveloped countries necessary. And perhaps by building good train services, it is, you know, a start. I'm sure they've also done other um, stuff. So I'm pretty sure they built um, one of the African countries, uh, like, um, that's that's on the coast. Uh, They built, like, ports for them. They've built um, buildings for them. And I'm actually uh, one of the um, the most important buildings in I think Kenya is built by uh, Chinese like state companies etc. Uh, China is pouring in a lot of money to Africa. Obviously, you know they have their own political aims etc. But yeah. I think it's just, I, e- either way I think it's a very you know kind thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know this kind of ties into. Um and or you know helping like surrounding schools i mean no i i, no, I wouldn't say so I, it's not entirely like that um, i mean we are we are so for the viewers that aren't aware Aundel is like we have we're kind of developing a scheme which like kind of helps schools nearby yeah 
uh, state schools nearby. I think it's called the Open Learning Partnership or something. Open, so, that's like so essentially what happens is that state school um, children will be using Aundel's facilities and then uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, etc., we will have this kind of collaboration with nearby schools. Yeah. Because the problem for also for I mean, perhaps international viewers, um, for in, in the UK, the, the difference between a private school and, a, and the state school is very, very significant. So for Aundel... We have, you know, very you know, historical buildings, very beautiful. We also have very modern technology. Um, we have a lot of, we, we produce a lot of A stars for public examinations, like GCSE A levels, in comparison with perhaps some nearby schools in Nando that can barely, you know, teach physics, you yeah. know, stuff like that. I mean, it's it's a very yeah. sad thing to look at. And for, for the thing we're, with a scheme that we're essentially we're promoting is that we will be able to share some of our resources and um, collab with nearby schools to allow some of their, you know, talents to yeah. have the opportunities that some of so that some of us, which are more privileged than them. Yeah. yeah, I think they said something like the surrounding schools they have literally no physics teachers. Yeah, and then Aundel has what like six. Oh, more than that. They're the death. They're they're like twelve physics classrooms. So is, it, is that how yeah? Many? So probably like ten. Yeah, t- definitely ten physics classrooms, and yeah. uh, I think that the whole—I mean, this this is the thing, right? Like, Aundu is a very, very expensive school. Yeah, uh, like people will not usually pay forty thousand for school fees, and then obviously we have the facility, we have the teaching, we have obviously the admissions process where. If you do get into Aundel, um, you know, p- the Andelians you have in the school are also very academically talented. Yeah. It's not that um, uh, you have the money you can get in. So. And also academically motivated. Like, that's a yeah. big difference as well between state school and private school. It's yeah. like people in private school, you know, you're paying for something. You're probably going to care more about it. Like, if, if I give you chopsticks with free, mm-hmm. I don't know chopsticks, but like, you know, <laughs> just give you something for free. You, you, you might just throw it away. Yeah, but like if if you're paying if if you pay me for it, even if it's the same quality, you'll probably care more about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You're putting input into it. Yeah, and um, yeah. Also, Aundel has a what like partnership with Imperial College. Yeah, so Imperial College London and us have this because Aundel is very STEM orientated. I mean, obviously we have brilliant uh, English department, and we have brilliant language department, etc. But yeah. definitely the STEM side is a lot stronger than any other departments, and we do pour in a lot of money each year to you know physics, um, engineering, and um, you know biology, chemistry, etc. Yeah, and we do secure. I think, uh, actually, matter of fact, um, I'm pretty sure this year Harrow only had uh, a single digit Oxbridge number, which is which is you know unheard of. You know, for schools like Harrow, I think they should at least get something wrong, fifteen Oxbridge, but they I think it was like an eight or seven. And there's yeah. only three people that got in uh, with a STEM subject, which is absolutely insane. I think for Andals, uh the other way around, where. This year, I think we have 16, 15 Oxbridge numbers. And then I think um, a half or at least two thirds of this 15 is uh, doing STEM. Yeah. I mean, STEM isn't... Sure, this podcast is about like STEM, yeah. But I don't think it's like the only thing that you could study like that's useful. I mean, it's not uh, like in Oxbridge. 
sure it's STEM orientated, but you could also be. The, I'm sure the English department's good there, yeah. And one of one of our friends, you know, mums works as a librarian there, so they have a nice like library. Therefore, like literature, you know. So. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people usually say, like, oh, what do you use English for? What do you use history for? Why yeah. study it? But um, history and other subjects do tie in very well to um, some career paths, like... Lawyer. Yeah, law, exactly. Yeah, and I think law is important, like, especially for, like, a ever-growing um, STEM-oriented future, right? Yeah, I mean, law, yeah, exactly. Law will never fail to be important in our society. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's also a very lucrative industry as well. yeah. I think I think, to, but it's not like just all about money. It's like if you see something as being important, just based on like fundamentally it being important, rather than so if I if I have a passion uh -huh. and I view that passion as being important, uh -huh. that's more important than like it being uh, yeah exactly. So that that's basically how I think you know like like sure Oxbridge people they're smart. But that that doesn't mean they have to be good at STEM. Yeah. No, of course, of course. I mean, in my opinion, we're, I mean, I'm, we're just saying Arnold's a very STEMy school, but of course, literature is just as important as STEM. In yeah. my opinion, there's no better. It is a it is just a neutral thing. Yeah, and I think that is kind of why we started this podcast to, you know, show off, not show off. I, I mean, teach other people about like yeah, STEM I mean, and promote teenagers to be more into STEM and yeah. even though obviously this podcast is you know one of the things that we're doing in school we also um Sid and I have also founded our own society in school as well on you know STEM where we founded the MedSoc so um I think I think it is just nice to promote these kind of things and see other people um perhaps people that are not as exposed to STEM as us in Andal yeah to get a feel of it yeah and I think that's why we should finish today's episode because I think we've spoken qu about quite a lot actually, and um, yeah, I think I think it's nice to see like you know st STEM is you know like the, like our future is going to be STEM based definitely, mm -hmm. but I, we do definitely need other aspects of life in that. Yes. And so yeah, so in today's episode we've spoken about um, what delivery services. It's about a little bit of Twitter, uh, Aundel, our school. And we... digital rupees. Yeah. If you guys did enjoy, make sure to tune into the next episode. And hit that like button. Yeah. Subscribe. <laughs> give us a follow. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>